and maybe it's because of, because of privilege, right? Right, because of privilege, they're in this role, mm-hmm. right? And so they have to, they have to. Sometimes you do need to be invited to the table. Sometimes right. you you can just say, I want to seat at the table, mm-hmm. right? And sometimes you do have. I've been in those positions before where I was like, I need to have a seat at the table. Mm-hmm. Welcome to another episode of From the Sidelines with Chanel Starling. In this episode, Talia Coleman joins the show. She has known me since I was a teenager. She has so much to do with my growth and where I am today, professionally and personally. She's a mom, a wife, a mentor, and not to mention the true connector of dots. She's held leadership positions at multiple companies, including Women's Basketball, Coaches Association, ESPN, and currently Under Armour. We talk about her time at the illustrious Morgan State University. Y'all know I was going to slide that in somewhere. Landing her first job out of college and the experience she's had being a black woman in communications. We also talk about her Washington Redskins and we talk about quarterbacks that are still in the playoffs that we're rooting for. So let's get to it. Okay, so for this episode, I'm gonna start it off a little differently. Because you are a Morgan alum, just like me, I want to, so there's been Twitter beefs or Twitter wars between the different classes that come out of Morgan. Okay. And what we've been saying to them is like, you don't know anything about Morgan because you don't know, you didn't experience the student center parties. Like you guys didn't get that. So what would you say or your class say to our class? Cause I graduated in 2015. So what would you guys say to the class that thinks they're, you know, OGs of Morgan State? Well, I graduated in 2001, so we're taking it back. My <laughs> freshman year started in 1997, fall 97. So a lot of the amenities that your class and that era has, we never experienced at Morgan. So the student center, and let's go take it back to 1997, was in the McKeldin building. And so we had the canteen, mm-hmm. which was like sort of like if you watched uh, Different World, mm-hmm. it was sort of like our pit. Oh, if you think of it as yeah. since and we had characters, I can't remember all their names that reminded you of like the Mr. Gaines mm-hmm. <laughs> that are in there with the hair net right. and like working behind in the kitchen and making cook to order food for you. So, yeah, we didn't have the amenities that you all have now. We weren't even allowed to have parties on campus. That is crazy. We, they were bad. So we came there thinking, you know, freshman year, you were like, oh, yeah, yeah you know, we're going to get party. the full black college. <laughs> yeah. We're going to get it in. We're going to party. It is like all parties are banned. Oh, they were banned. Oh, they were banned from campus. We could not have parties on campus. My so entire, entire my entire experience at Morgan State started fall 97, graduated spring 01. Jeez. So we, you know, with the classes before us ruined it for our right. our era. Got to because, oh yeah, because Blount was co-ed before we got there. Like cool. maybe a couple of years before we got there, but it was so reckless. The students were so I reckless. I can't imagine, can imagine? being co-ed. I can't. Yeah. I can't. It, I don't it was want reckless. To. It was reckless. And Ew. so by the time we arrived there to help to kind of get things under control and get students focused, yeah. 
they had to separate the boys and the girls. Jeez, no and parties. So, no parties. None of that was happening at Morgan. Oh if you, God. if all my fellow Morganites that started during the era, you all know what I'm talking about. Oh my God. It was no partying on campus. We were going through a lot of transformation as a university. So, President Richardson at the time, he had a great vision for the campus. And so all the things that you experienced while you were there was literally a blueprint when When we started. So we knew it was coming, but it was going to happen 10 years after we (laughs) graduated. So what is that like coming back 10 years after and seeing what the vision ended up being? Yeah, I mean, it's 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 just you're proud as an alum. I mean, Dr. Wilson is doing amazing, amazing progressive things for the university. I think really elevated Morgan to not just be seen as a great HBCU, but as a great state university. And so I'm really proud. I think if you talk to most people that graduated, you know, during my era and even after, I'm sure you feel the same way every time you set foot on campus, like how proud you are to Mm -hmm. see the new buildings, the new business school. Right, the new bridge. The bridge, the two bridges now, right? So, um, and even for me, like as a comms major, we were a department when I was there. Right, I think they just changed that when... Dr. Wick, um, right, um, oh, Dean, Dean Wickham. Wickham, right yeah. when I got there, yeah. they, like, Dean Wickham is another he, progressive yeah. man. He did his thing. Just very proud of you know uh, what Morgan is today, and so yeah, when I set foot on campus and I think about you know what it was when I was a student there, what it is today is like just leaps and bounds ahead of what we experienced. But still, was a great school even in '97 yeah. to 2001. So, what would you say saying? on the HBCU um, topic, what would you say your favorite Morgan moment was? My favorite Morgan moment. You know what? It, honestly, it, I'm, I'm a very social person, mm-hmm. so I can appreciate just the, just walking the yard, honestly. Yeah. You know, walking the yard, like just the, you know, looking at all the older buildings, mm-hmm. the cobblestone, Feeling the bridge shake when you walk across it, it still happens to this day. Just that, you know, being in that quad area where Holmes Hall mm-hmm. is. I mean, I think just walking the yard and that's just a community. Yeah. You feel at HBCU, mm-hmm. I think is definitely special. It's a special culture um, that you experience while you're there. I think the community element of it is just something that you can't compare, you know, unless you experience it for yourself. Yeah. So. So switching gears a little bit, as far as you, because I didn't even get to introduce you yet because I just had to jump right into the Morgan talk. Um, How would you identify yourself or what you do in the industry? Yeah, I would say first and foremost, communications executive or communicator. I'm a Mm. communicator first. I always say that regardless of what area you go into in communications, whether you're on the broadcast side, whether, you know, you're doing more, you know, written journalism um you're doing social like you're communicator first and so that's how i always describe who i am Mm -hmm. you know just from a you know a vocation perspective is that i'm a communicator first and how did you get into communications interesting um so I started off as a marketing major. So big influence on me was the movie Boomerang. Mm. So Marcus, who was the lead character played by Eddie Murphy, was a marketer. And so that really, and I saw the women, uh, so Robin Givens' role and Halle Berry's Mm -hmm. role, they were all marketers. And so that really influenced who I wanted to be from a career perspective. Mm -hmm. 
Actually, I, I wanted to be the first woman to play in the NBA. Oh. <laughs> it was my, my original goal, but it didn't quite work out that way. You could no. have still done that. <laughs> right, could have. You know, WNBA didn't exist back yeah. then, but at any rate, so I went into school like I'm going to major. Mm-hmm. I knew communication, something communications marketing related. Right. And so when I ended up not going to Temple, so Temple was my first choice. Okay. So I did want to do some sort of like sports journalism, right. but then I saw Boomerang and I'm like, oh, marketing. And then I ended up going to Morgan who had an exceptional business school, Earl Graves mm-hmm. School of Business. And so when I looked at what the offerings were, I decided to major in marketing. So I, I did one semester mm-hmm. as a marketing major, and then I had a conversation with my sister's mother-in-law, mm-hmm. um, Joyce Strain, who was an executive at a uh, health insurance company. And she was like, Talia, you're so such a great communicator. Have you ever thought about public relations? Ooh. And I had no idea what public relations right. PR was. And so I was like, tell me more. She was like, what are you thinking about now? And I was like, marketing. I said, but I also still have this aspiration to do broadcast journalism. Mm-hmm. And she was like, well, you can make a lot more money yeah. being a publicist. Right. And so I was like, hmm, I need to figure out if there's, <laughs> let's, 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 let's see if there's a, right, research and see if there's a major or a minor I can focus on at Morgan. And so I end up doing my research uh, at the school, at the, in the communications department to see if there was a major. And in fact, there was. And so I decided to talk to my counselor and made the switch the very next semester to the communications track and concentrating on public relations so that's how I landed in that field right um was just through a conversation you never know people talk to you and they see potential in you mm-hmm. that you don't see in yourself right and they'll, they'll expose you to things that you had no idea existed what would you say your favorite part of public relations is or what do you enjoy most about it because that's a hard public relations is yes. a different animal it's a different beast it's not for everyone no Oh, my goodness. I think it probably is. Oh, for me, I would say my proudest moment was when I got the role to work at ESPN uh, on ESPN U to help uh, grow that network. So the public relations strategy was going to be critical in helping to really advance that network and grow that network's distribution. And so to be able to come in and build a communication strategy that helped to give the network more exposure And the other piece of that that was really um, fascinating to me was the fact that it was one of the first networks to really program HBCU Mm -hmm. live football games, basketball games. So that was a really, it just kind of was like the perfect marriage of, you know, my background and what I'm passionate about Mm -hmm. and the things that I'm good at. And so to be able to see like a communication strategy where, where you're helping viewers to get exposure to content mm-hmm. or entertainment that they are not able to see anywhere else was exciting to me. Just to know that, hey, my communication strategy helped people, maybe in certain markets that didn't know that this brand existed, right. get exposure to it because I was able to pitch a story to a local journalist there to say, hey, have you heard about ESPNU? Mm-hmm. Well, by the way, we're going to be televet televising the magic city classic or something like that people viewers like oh wow they're actually giving exposure to you know uh, sports uh, teams and universities um that you know people didn't even know existed so it gives people that that exposure and opportunity they didn't get on other networks so you didn't see the morgan states right on espn Mm -hmm. but espnu was a platform that was really providing diversity of programming that you didn't see anywhere else so that to me was like really um a proud moment and i was excited to be able to work on a strategy to help 
get that network more exposure distribution so you talked about your position at ESPN how did you get from graduating in 2001 and Mm -hmm. then landing a job at ESPN what was that journey like for you so it started with really good counsel from (laughs) several professors at Morgan Um, one of them was an English teacher or professor and her name escapes me now but she said to she just encouraged me to start an internship right away my Mm -hmm. freshman year so I ended up taking an internship with WEAA 89.9 FM which is publicly run radio on um, Morgan State's campus Mm -hmm. so I did everything there I ran the boards I wrote copy voiced you know did voiceovers so I got as much experience as possible there and then I realized well you need to get some PR experience Mm -hmm. under your belt and I went to a there was a career fair for communication students so there were a few like they have the teams and they had well actually it wasn't for communications it was just a college fair for morgan and there were several employers that came there and there was a small boutique pr firm called 21st century group was actually a black owned a minority owned pr firm in baltimore city Mm -hmm. boutique firm and they were looking for interns to help them and so i was like here's my shot at Mm -hmm. getting some real world experience in PR and so the owner I still keep in touch with him to this day his name is Adrian Harpool he's one of the owners of the firm um hired me and I um end up doing a one-year internship with them so I was working with them during the school year too helping them out there and so I worked at Walmart uh in an internship program there to get some business business management experience too so there was a couple of different internship opportunities I had Mm -hmm. um, that kind of led me to eventually get into ESPN. But after um, I did a few different internships, one was with the state of Maryland, the governor's press office. So I kind of got a flavor for different types of PR work or publicity Mm -hmm. work. So with the agency, you get to work with different accounts. So that was cool. So from Delta Airlines is one of our accounts to um, we work with an entertainment uh, client where we help them to facilitate um, a summer concert series. So I got a flavor for different industries. Coming out of school, did you, was it in your mind, I want to do sports? Like I want to stay around sports or are you like, I got to take what I can take? I think at that time, I just wanted the experience, the yeah. practical, what's the skill set I need to build? Gotcha. Versus the, I, I can now pick what industry. Right. I wasn't quite at that point. It was funny is I never thought about sport while I was at Morgan, mm. even though I always loved sport, yeah, it was not. I never thought about how can I marry the communications right. kind of skill with what I'm passionate about, which is this industry, sport <laughs> industry. Never thought about it until my first job in public relations mm-hmm. at um, McKinney and Associates. I didn't even realize. I didn't realize it. I never put two and two together. Yeah. Never put it together at all until. I was working at uh, McKinney and Associates. I was at McKinney and Associates. My first job out of college was at a boutique PR firm called McKinney and Associates, mm-hmm. so another minority-owned firm. And they hired me as an intern, and then they brought me on as a junior associate. And so while I was there, we worked with a lot of different advocacy organizations, like the U.S. Commission on Civil Rights, NAACP Legal Defense Fund. And then um, my nose was always in the sports pages. So as a publicist, a junior publicist back in the day versus there being like, you know how you get news alerts now Mm -hmm. of headlines? We physically had to take 
uh, newspapers, oh. <laughs> read the newspapers, right. clip articles that were related to coverage about our clients. Mm. So, but I would spend all my time. I had a deadline to meet, right. but I would be late sometimes my deadline because I'm on the sports pages. <laughs> so, uh, Gwen McKinney, who still owns the firm to this day, she's like, Talia, your nose is always in the sports pages. Have you ever thought about a career in sports PR? And I was like, nah, I never fathomed. <laughs> right a career in sports PR and she was like you should think you should look into it and then maybe fast forward a month or two later my cousin found an internship opportunity with an organization called the Black Coaches Association which is based in Indianapolis Indiana Mm. and they were all about their um, mission was to create opportunities for uh, minority coaches at the division one a level because there was a lack of of coaches of color coaching at that D1 level for basketball, football especially, mm-hmm. so the BCS school level. And so they had an inter, uh, communications and marketing internship available. And so my cousin passed along to me. She was like, I think this would be great for you. Yeah. And I was like, I'm going to apply. I applied for it. They called me, flew me out to Indianapolis to interview. And they were like, it's an internship, so it, doesn't, it didn't pay much. Right. Didn't pay much, <laughs> didn't have any benefits or anything, but that's all I always tell people like, don't be afraid to take that leap of faith to relocate. Mm-hmm. Like, be willing to move, be willing to go outside of your comfort zone. Yeah. You know, and I did when I moved to Indianapolis and I took on that internship. I did it for a year and it was the best decision, career decision I've ever made. Because wow. it opened so many doors for me right. after that. Because that's what, that was my breakthrough in the mm-hmm. sport industry because I was able to build a relationship with people in the at the NCAA. People in the WNBA, you know, NBA. I mean, you're you're like willing to dealing with coaches at all levels, and you're just getting great exposure. And for me, it was just building the skill set, getting the experience, and then you know, with that, I got a lot of exposure, and so it led to, you know, there was one more stop before I ended up at ESPN. So that was my breakthrough, the BCA. So with that experience, far from home, what keep like what helped you to keep going? Because that's far. Mm-hmm. You know, so what was it that you told yourself, you know, I got to do this like this is for because it's harder. It's it's easier said than done. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know a lot of people struggle with going away from home and chasing their dreams. Yeah. So what was it that got you through it? Actually, it was advice from my older cousin who told me about the internship. But one of the things she said to me that resonated and really gave me comfort in my decision was home is not going anywhere. It's going to be here. But this opportunity may not be. And so just knowing home is not going anywhere, it's right. always going to be. You can always go back home. Right. You can always go back home. Yeah. And so that gave me peace of mind, mm. knowing that this was my opportunity. And at the time, I was 22. And That's so, young, though. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, but it was like, what's holding me back? Right. You know? Yeah. Because oftentimes, I think that we get in our own way. Mm-hmm. We talk ourselves out of going after our dreams. Yeah. You know, that mindset of, well, what if I don't succeed? Mm-hmm. What if I don't have enough money? What if yeah. I don't make it? Right. But how do you know? You don't know until you until you do it. Right. And I think it's more so like, this is how I'm going to survive. Mm-hmm. I'm going to have to pick up two more jobs, yeah. which I did. I was, was going to ask, like, how did that work? Because you said you were making... I was <laughs> making... I, I don't want to embarrass Floyd Keith, who was the executive director of the BCA and, and really took a chance on me. And I still keep in touch with him to this day and forever grateful to him and Debbie Reynolds for bringing me into the organization. But... Um, yeah, I ended up taking a job with Finish Line. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. 
I worked the finish line. I worked the UPS. All um, at the same time? Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. I, oh look, God, I had to make ends meet. Look, I was trying to make yeah. my $425 yeah. a month rent <laughs> out in Indianapolis for my one bedroom. And so, yeah, I did that. Um, and I worked uh, for a temp agency, whatever I needed to do to make ends meet. And, you know, at the time, didn't have any children. There was nothing holding me back, you know. Right. So it really, um, I was able to... For the first time I was away from home, I became a lot more resilient. And also my faith increased significantly. You know, we talk about like what makes you whole, what helps you to get through is my faith increased. Like it was me and God. Right. You know, I was just like, okay, I'm out here in the what Midwest. Are next? What are we doing? Yeah, uh, yeah. What's next? Help me, direct me, lead me. I lived with a woman I had never met before my first three months out there. She actually worked at the BCA. She was the secretary or administrative assistant. She brought me into her home. We didn't know each other. We just talked over the phone and I couldn't find a place to live. You know, it was a hard time for some reason. There was just no availability. And so she took me into her house with her two other daughters that were living there. And... Man, you, you just people that get placed in your life to mm-hmm. help you along the way. That's why I knew I made the right decision because everything that could have deterred me from going after it, mm-hmm. like the door opened. There was a way that was made for me and, you know, God made a way. So I was like, my faith is yeah. what got me through as well as that advice from my cousin about, hey, home's not going anywhere. Right. And then once you were there, did you know where you want to go next? Did you have an idea of where you wanted to pivot your career? I didn't know exactly. Like, like the intentional like focus of where I wanted to be next. I knew that a career in sports communications, I always had this desire to actually do radio. Mm-hmm. Look at this. So yeah, I love this. Perfect. I'm so like super proud of you because I'm like, you are like what my dream is like being manifested. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Oh. So I've always had that that desire to do, I have it on my LinkedIn page, as a matter of fact, I still have these aspirations to have yeah. my own uh, radio show. And so um, I always kind of in the back of my mind thought about, man, you know, journalism, broadcast journalism mm-hmm. was always in the back of my head, but I never took that leap of faith because I was like, I want to make money. Yeah, I mean- <laughs> so, you know, I ended up just staying on the, the public relations track and it led me to a manager comms position after BCA with an organization called the Women's Basketball Coaches Association. Mm-hmm. I got a full-time job there um, overseeing all their communications. And, and was marketing. that? Where was that? This was outside of Atlanta in oh, Lilburn, okay. Georgia. So that was a nice move they for me at 23. Yeah. I got that opportunity. And uh, it was, so WBCA is another advocacy organization, but for uh, women's basketball coaches, because there was a, a lot of equity. We're still talking about it today in terms of salary. Mm-hmm. There wasn't a lot of pay equity for women's basketball coaches versus men's basketball coaches. Right. And so a lot of the work that WBCA did was to help to promote the sport of women's basketball, right. which I was super passionate about. Yeah. I play, hadn't played in years since high school, but definitely always um, have been a fan. And so again, mirroring my skill set was mm-hmm. something I'm passionate about that always kind of, that's been a theme in my career mm-hmm. is like mar- the marriage of what I'm good at and what I'm passionate about. And so that's what, my journey has been in my career and I really think I've just had a lot of great favor too and just good timing. What would you say your favorite, your favorite moment or your favorite position you've had in your career so far? You know what? The WBC actually was pretty (laughs) cool 
and I didn't, you know how you're so young and naive. You yeah. don't even know like people you're meeting, yeah. and you're having conversations, and yeah. you're meeting rubbing elbows yeah, with, yeah, yeah. which is crazy. Because I remember when I worked with Robin Roberts. Mm, oh my god! Today is the highlight, and actually, I had a chance to see her again recently, and I end up, yeah, unfortunately, had a conflict. Yeah, but um, so I'm writing a script for her mm-hmm. for an event the WBCA was hosting or facilitating and she was hosting the event for Mm us. So I'm like, yeah, Robin Roberts, of course, like the Robin Roberts who hosts the sports center, Mm -hmm. like first black woman to, to anchor sports sports center. And so I'm sitting there and sometimes you're so naive not to know, like, you're just like, I'm like, I'm in the room with this woman, like having a conversation with her. And I was just thanking her for paving the way. I did thank her. And I was like, Asking her what career advice she had for mm-hmm. me. And she said, you're in communications, right? And I said, yeah. She said, just keep writing. Mm-hmm. It's going to take you far. And even though it's simple, it really is the base and the foundation of my career. It's like having that solid, you know, written communication skill. Mm-hmm. Like just being a solid writer. This was like communicator first. Mm-hmm. And that advice like resonated. And it was so inspirational, simple, but inspirational for her to say that. She said, it's going to take you far. And so just the people you meet, you know, it's just past summit, you know, mm-hmm. being able to meet her and, you know, spend time with her. So, I mean, all of them. I mean, ESPN was amazing, too. Yeah. I mean, you just run into meet some amazing people right. along the way. I, I don't take any of it for granted at all. I mean, I've met some incredible, you know, instrumental uh, influential people in my career and I think every every stop I've had in my career has there's been like a, a pinnacle moment at each of those with mm-hmm. the I think to this day ESPN was still my dream job even though I'm in right. an executive role now mm-hmm. um, in the sport industry yeah. I still say ESPN was it like mm-hmm. that was my dream job mm-hmm. you know now everything else is icing yeah. on the cake how many did you have two different positions at ESPN? I did. Which one was your dream job? Or just being there? The the publicist role for ESPNU and all our college sports properties was it. Okay. You know, I got, you know, I'll admit I had done it for um, six of the eight years I was at ESPN. And I honestly, I, the travel caught up with me. Mm-hmm. And life yeah. happened. I got married. Yeah. And so my priorities changed. Right. And that's something that happens in some people's careers mm-hmm. too. Like your priorities change. Right. And you become more uh, family your values may you reprioritize your values to right. like family first versus right. career first right. you know so that's happened to me in my career and I've made some decisions in my career to focus or pivot more on and focus on my family so I've definitely been in those moments too and that's what happened at ESPN I got married and I wanted to be home more often and my husband had made a sacrifice to move to Connecticut mm-hmm. to support my career yeah. but I was always on the road right and so I was like I need something that I can be more present. And so that was my decision to make when I made that that shift in my career at at ESPN. What was the role that you um, went to after being a publicist? So I went into diversity and inclusion Mm. work. And so that is really all about making sure that there's equity in your industry. There's equity in your workplace, Mm -hmm. that everyone is being included, as many people are being included as possible in the conversation about how to advance themselves mm-hmm. within an organization or how we advance the business. Yeah. And so that meant a lot to me at that point. Like how do I pay it forward? Everything I've learned. Right. How can I pay it forward to right. people that are underrepresented mm-hmm. in corporate America? So I know you've worked for a number of huge companies, uh, 
being ESPN and Under Armour, what's that experience like being a black woman, a black boss, mm-hmm. a black woman boss in those companies? The experience, I, I have to say, I've had a lot of support in my career from people that did not look like me. Mm-hmm. Um, my The person who hired me at ESPN was a Jewish man mm-hmm. who saw my talent and he extended this opportunity for me to work at ESPN. And it was my mind was blown <laughs> when he reached out to me and I'm forever grateful for people like Josh. Cause it takes people like that yeah. to open doors sometimes. Mm-hmm. And so it's been interesting because the people that have, um, not everyone who has helped me along the way, uh, or have, have helped to coach me. A lot of them have been people who don't look like me, which mm-hmm. is interesting having, and I would say having as a, as a woman of color, I mean, you have to be excellent too yeah. at what you do, like just be excellent in terms of follow through and diligence right. and meeting your, making your commitments, mm-hmm. I think is important that when you do get that seat at the table, you, right. you, you take responsibility mm-hmm. and, and don't take it for granted. And just, you know, so I would say I've had a lot of support. I haven't, you know, there's not been, thankfully for me, I haven't experienced many barriers that were just obvious. Yeah, I think that, you know, again, I've just had a lot of support and a lot of the time for me, it's, it's been more so paying it back to people that come that may not have been as bold to take on opportunities. Mm-hmm. Cause like I said, what I see sometimes is in the industry is sometimes it's, you know, us is in, you know, we get in our own way. Yeah. Sometimes it is us getting our own way. Sometimes there are institutional barriers there where someone needs to give you that opportunity that is in an influential position. Um, And maybe it's because of of privilege. Right. Right. Because of privilege, they're in this role. Mm -hmm. Right. And so they have to, they have to, sometimes you do need to be invited to the table. Sometimes you you can just say, I want to seat at the table. Mm -hmm. Right. And sometimes you do have, I've been in those positions before where I was like, I need to have a seat at the table. Mm -hmm. And I've had conversations, even in my current role, where I've had conversations that said, this could have, the outcome of this project could have been better had, you know, I've been at at the table a little bit earlier. Mm -hmm. And I've I've made that known Mm -hmm. to when I've looked back on it and just saying, in order for us to be truly successful, like to keep sometimes, you know, and again, I, I think sometimes maybe people aren't aware. You have to make them aware yeah. that maybe you're being disenfranchised, mm-hmm. right? And if you know it, you can't sit on it. You right. gotta speak up. Um, I think you need to be very diplomatic. Mm-hmm. You know, you have to be professional about it. Mm-hmm. But when you do feel like you're being disenfranchised or you're not getting that same opportunity as maybe someone who's not of um, the same race or gender. Mm-hmm. You need to make it known in a diplomatic way. Right. And you say, and, and it's how you, and sometimes I think it's just finding the right words, right. right? To And I've had mentors that have been fantastic that have helped me to communicate when I felt like I've been disenfranchised. And so you can express it in ways. I remember one time one of my mentors was like, you can just clearly say that you have a concern. Mm. And you're like, brilliant, yeah. <laughs> brilliant. Yeah. Concern. I have a concern right. about the way... Um, I was treated mm. and you have to be very like feedback is so critical and it's how we all I think can get better is mm-hmm. with really good feedback. So how do you take the feeling portion out of it or how do you go about it in mm. a professional way, but still standing your ground without 
offending anyone. Sometimes it takes, take a not immediately going after it right away. For me, I have to write things down. I will practice it and <laughs> script it out. It has someone to practice it with that has kind of been there before you. Yeah. So that's why I think mentors are so important. People you can, or sounding boards, mm-hmm. people, and it may not always be a mentor. It may just be someone you respect a whole lot right. in business um, that you say, you know what, can I bounce this off of you? Mm-hmm. Like, I need to have this really tough conversation about something that made me uncomfortable mm-hmm. in the workplace or something that I disagree mm-hmm. with. And you don't have to go after right then and there because sometimes you're in the heat in the moment and right. you are emotional. Mm-hmm. You're like, man, you want to give them a piece yeah, of your yeah, mind. Right, you you know what I'm saying? <laughs> I don't know if we can swear on the, <laughs> this podcast, so I'm trying to keep it politically correct. But, you know, sometimes you want to go there yeah. like you really do. And I've been, I actually had to give feedback recently to a, someone on my team about maintaining professionalism mm-hmm. in a positive, in the right attitude right. in the workplace. So what do you think is, because you said that you've had your dream job at ESPN. So what do you think is next for you? Whether it's a career move or a radio show or, you you never know. Yeah. What do you think is next? You know what? Actually, from if, you know, next in terms of like executive communications would be, or executive communicator would be um, either working for a league Mm. or a sports franchise. Okay. Doing, doing what? So head of corporate communications um, for a, a league or a sports team. Staying on that PR yeah. track. Um, and I've had my opportunities yeah. lately. Mm-hmm. I just, uh, I'm at a point in my career too where in family life, right. where I want to be available for mm-hmm. my, my sons. Mm-hmm. I have young children. Yeah. Yeah. And so I really um, prioritize family right now. Mm-hmm. And so the next for me, I've had an amazing career and I give God all the glory for that for sure. But, you know, definitely the league. So yeah. I would love NBA. Mm-hmm. I'm such a fan. Yeah. I love what the NBA is doing. Mm-hmm. Not only from, you know, how the game is played, but from the community aspect yeah. and just from a, the player association mm-hmm. and how they integrate the player's voice in decision making. Mm-hmm. I just really think that, you know, the league has done a really good job at bridging the lines between the players mm-hmm. and, you know, the front office. Quickly, to go back on what you just said, as far as prioritizing your family and your career, mm-hmm. is there ever a time where, not saying you put your career before your family, but is there ever a time where you can do both or you can have both on the same level or is it just like once you have a family it's kind of like your career kind of takes the back seat to it no I, I don't think so I think you know you really have to build the have the right system and structure in place and I think you know I give my husband a lot of credit you know he's definitely a great uh, he's supported me in a lot of the um, decisions I made career-wise and moves I made made I think for me it's like how you build that team mm-hmm. to help support the lifestyle you want to live. And so I think you can. I think it it you really have to be organized <laughs> too. Yeah. I will say having children, yeah. you're like, okay, you really have to be organized in terms of if you need to take this business trip and right. making sure you're setting up your family for success too Mm -hmm. and so I think you can you can manage it but I think you know you hear about work-life balance all the time and how difficult it is but I think it's about being present in the moment Mm -hmm. that you're in so 
And when I'm with my boys, I really want to be present. Mm -hmm. Phone down, laptop down. Mm -hmm. Like this is just our time Mm -hmm. to really be present with each other. So I think it's just about the quality too that I try to focus on more than how much time it is. Mm -hmm. And so um, you have a responsibility to have a responsibility in my career. I have a responsibility to my family, but I really have a good support system too. And one of the reasons why I did come back home, you know, my cousin said long ago, home will always be there. It was, (laughs) it was there for me when I took this role um, and, and moved into the position um, or the company I am with now at Under Armour, I was able to, um, I have a really good support system here. My parents are here. Mm-hmm. My sister is here. My family, my husband's family is mm-hmm. here. So we have that support system right. there. Okay, so switching gears a little bit. Let's get into your Redskins. So they're moving in the right direction. They got Ron Rivera. They Come got Jack on. Del Rio. How do you feel about how the Redskins are moving? Do you think it's enough? We can only go up from here. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Uh, it's time to level up. Yeah. Level up, level up. <laughs> I think the two hires with Del Rio uh, and Rivera were strong, solid foundation. I think both those coaches come with an incredible resume mm-hmm. and they know how to build winning cultures. Mm-hmm. They work with some phenomenal talent over right. the years, too. I just, if you look at both their resumes, we definitely are taking a step in the right direction. I uh, hope we get the right, we build out the right roster too to complement, you know, their, their coaching style, Mm -hmm. but I feel really encouraged. Like I said, I mean, this is the, (laughs) the worst I feel like we've been as an organization, not only from like this organizational perspective, but from a fan perspective, like I grew up in the eighties and nineties when, you know, you had. Um, the posse from a wide receiver perspective, like with the winning, like the, the Doug Williams days right. and the Mark Rippon days. And so I've seen the winning culture. Right. And even after that, you know, you fast forward, we've had such a quarterback carousel over the years too. Um, but the fans were always tried and true and mm-hmm. would be there and would show up. But the last two They've years have enough. been really, yeah. we, we were like, no, yeah, we ain't coming. We ain't coming to watch this. We're not coming to watch, we'll watch this. some of the games. Yes. Again, it would be more visiting mm-hmm. fans at the game. Yeah, and I'm it like, was sad. it was, I was just like, Ugh. it was a sad sight. Yeah. That was the one thing you could, you could, uh, bank on was Redskins fans. They're going to show up, right? They're going to show up. Right. They're going to sell out mm-hmm. regardless if it's an up or down right. season, but we've been so down lately. Yeah. And so, I th- like you said, the fans of as a Redskins fan, we have had enough. I it was like we wanted to, you know, protest yeah. and just boycott yeah. our own team. It got yeah. to that point. And so, you know, I, I, we're at a point now where I feel like there's some momentum again. Mm-hmm. But obviously, you got to win. You got to win. And hopefully, uh, Rivera has done it. He's inherited teams that have had losing records. Mm-hmm. And, he, and same with Del Rio. Mm-hmm. They walked into situations where their defense was lowly ranked. Mm-hmm. And they've, you know, got them in the top 10. Mm-hmm. So, I'm really excited about what they're going to bring to the table. And they work with... Um, you know, they've turned organizations around before and I just, as players, you know, they won at, at the level of a player and coach. Mm -hmm. And so I'm really excited and looking forward to wearing my uh, Washington gear proudly again. I definitely had it. It makes me so sad seeing y'all. Like I I didn't wear, I didn't wear any, any Washington gear this year and none of it. I, I looked at it and I just. I just pushed it down in yeah. my drawer <laughs> further. You ain't I, never coming out. I, no, say you don't deserve to be on my body. So, what do you think the main problem was or is? What was it that made it such a bad season? 
You know what? I just said nothing could nothing could go right. I was watching. I was it like, was just, nothing we could right. We couldn't get a break. Yeah. We couldn't catch a break. I mean, I think defensively, offensively, we were just, there was, I mean, you could just, it just seemed like the, the team itself just did not have any drive momentum. Mm-hmm. They, you just didn't see that they were really trying. It yeah. just felt like everybody kind of threw in the towel. Right. And I think it just seemed like all around, like from a culture perspective, mm-hmm. from on-field play, I felt like, you know, the respect of the head coach, mm-hmm. you know, there was no respect for Gruden yeah. at that point. I think everybody was just, you know, had lost faith. And when that happens, it's tough to, to win yeah. when there's a lack of faith in each other. Right. And so I just felt like it just continued. It was, it was toxic. And, you know, I'm not in the locker room to know for sure what the exact reason was. And I'm no X's and O's, mm-hmm. but just as a fan watching the body language, yeah. there was nobody on the team that really got you. Right. Like, who's huh. that person that was stepping up right. to lead the team? Right. And there was no real captain mm-hmm. to look toward to give you that, you know, inspiration. I just felt like there was a lack of inspiration, too. So, do you think Dwayne Haskins is mm. going to be your franchise quarterback or Ooh. you guys might move in another dire- a different direction? Because I like him. I might. Yeah, I, th- I, I just like he- him because I liked him in college. Yeah. I just carry that to the NFL, but that's not how it works. Yeah, but, I know. It's different. It's but a they, different but level they of threw play. him in there and I was just like, why are yeah. y'all making him play? Yeah, y'all know this is a mess. In- he didn't walk- <laughs> right. He did walk into a great situation. So I think... You know, I think he handled it really well, though. I mean, you know, in, in terms of what I saw in the couple games he was able to, to start, mm-hmm. I think he showed a lot of bravado. Mm-hmm. I think he showed that he can he can pass. I think he showed that he understands the game. I think with the right coaching, mm-hmm. he could be good. I don't, he hasn't even reached anywhere close to his yeah. full potential. Mm-hmm. He's like, a, he's a diamond in the rough. Yeah. You know, I think he's a diamond in the rough and we'll see under the right coaching mm-hmm. and the right system how well he does. So it's early to say whether he is or is not. Right. He didn't walk into the right situation. Right, right. You yeah. know, he wasn't necessarily set up for a success I know, yeah. <laughs> coming in. It was just like, you know, we, we really had no choice. Yeah. Sticking on the subject of um quarterbacks, which mm-hmm. quarterback are you rooting for in the playoffs? I'm a Russell Wilson fan. Yeah, how can I you not am. be? He's yeah. just such a likable guy. Yeah. It's funny because people really do hate on him. Why? How? So they like hate on him as they think because they think he's, he's corny. He's corny. So that's so the what? thing. That's the thing with Russell. It's crazy. I'm like, okay, he's he's not rough around the edges. Yeah. He's not. He dances with his wife. Yeah. And like just because he's. I mean, he's a good guy. Yeah. He's a good guy. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and unfortunately, I think it happens. You know, I hear people. You know, other guys talk about him being corny, and I was like, what does it matter? I mean, he. I mean, he's successful. He loves his family. He loves his chair. Adores yeah. his wife. Yeah. He gives back to community. Mm-hmm. He love. I mean, he's a faithful man. Yeah. Um. He plays really well. Right. Like. What else? What, what do you want? What? Him, but that's the thing. You know, like he seems like. I guess he kind of seems like. He, he, he has it all, maybe to some, and people hate on that when yeah, they see probably. people that are happy and successful right. in who they are. Yeah. And so, yeah, he's not like the he come he doesn't come from humble beginnings. Right. And I think you kind of there's this perception of black athletes, especially mm-hmm. they have to come from humble beginnings right. and you know single parent home right. and that that's not his story. Right. You know, that's not who he is. And so, I am a big Russell fan on and off the field, and so I really would love to see him get another Super Bowl. Mm-hmm. 
win under his belt. Um, so that's who I'm rooting for. I'm a Seahawks. I had to adopt a new team. I'm gonna say yeah, it's okay. Yeah, the, you guys, give, you guys get that. Yeah, it's okay. Right. Given the current state, you guys just should have went to the, the Ravens. Like you guys that's are close enough. No, you know what? I, I don't hate on the Ravens at all. I just it never became a big fan of the yeah. Ravens, even though they're right here in Maryland. Yeah. Um, but never. I don't dislike them. Mm-hmm. I just don't particularly. I'm not a big fan. Mm-hmm. That's funny because a lot of people would say they're rooting for Lamar Jackson. He's a wide I mean, receiver. What are you talking about? No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Uh oh. Oh, yeah. Protect your pension. I will say, who am I rooting for? It has to be between Deshaun Watson. I have to say either him or Patrick Mahomes. Like, I really want Patrick Mahomes because he's gotten so close. Yeah. And. I just think he's such a nice guy and he's such a team guy. So it have it will have to be Patrick Mahomes or Deshaun Watson that I'm going for. More so Deshaun Watson just because he just deserves so much better. I'm going for him. Um and as far as Super Bowl picks, Ooh. so these are two separate questions. Okay. It's who do you want to see and then it's who do you think we'll see. Okay. So first do who do you want to see? No, I want to see the Hawks, so go Hawks, okay. Seahawks, um, NFC pick. AFC side, I would love to see Kansas City. Okay. Um, that's what I want to see. Who I think will end up, and it was interesting is I actually was thinking Brady might have another one on his belt, um, but, you know, he's home now. Yeah, so I I've, that's weird. This is a, it's, it's, it's weird because it's been some years, you right. know, where um, Brady isn't, at least not been in the AFC championship. Champion, yeah. So it, it it really opens things up for the AFC. Yeah. So I um from on the AFC side of things, I would say my goodness, I'm trying to think of who's left. NFC I would say the 49ers, you know. I keep forgetting about them. Yeah, I know they're like <laughs> they're still in this yeah. and they're they've been winning and you know, so I say 49ers and on the AFC side of things uh, it's tough that the Patriots aren't there. Um, Ravens. You, yeah. Okay. That's a. They're both. I think. Which I don't want to give it to them, but they're balling. They're really hard to beat. They're balling right now. I mean, they're playing at a, at a extremely high level. Yeah. They're a high performance team yeah. right now, and they have like so. a different swag to them. Mm-hmm. They're the last team I want to see, <laughs> but I really, I, yeah, I don't know. Something in my heart is telling me they're gonna get upset by the titans i just feel it the titans you know what because they're just weird the titans are just a weird they're one of those sleeper teams that you know will surprise you and i honestly counted them out against the patriots and you know they're you know they just have a good run game too and so i think we have a good run or a good running game Mm -hmm. and defense Mm -hmm. you know those are hard to yeah those usually are you know super bowl contenders for sure so they might surprise us yeah Okay, so we um, are at the end of the episode, and we always do a guidelines from the sidelines from our guest, which is basically one guideline you would give someone to help them get from the sidelines so and get in the game. So what's one piece of advice you would give someone who might not be where they want to be now to keep going? Don't be afraid to take a risk um, and be... and. When I say that, and I gave an example before uh, when we were talking about my risk was moving halfway across the country. And 
not being afraid to be uncomfortable. Because mm-hmm. you're going to be uncomfortable because you're pursuing something you haven't pursued before. Right. And that's uncomfortable and scary. Mm-hmm. But don't be afraid. Try to figure it out. Like, what is it do I need that I need to do to reach that goal? How do I do it? Mm-hmm. You know, challenge yourself with that that question. How do I do it? How do I get it done? Versus saying, oh, I can't. I'm scared. And yeah, you're going to be scared. And I think that's natural. But get used to being uncomfortable. Get comfortable with being, being uncomfortable. Uncom- yeah. And you've probably heard that before. People have heard that before. But it's so true. Mm-hmm. It's so... Well, you're uncomfortable and yeah. vulnerable. But oftentimes, that's when you learn. Mm-hmm. Too. So I think that's something like we don't know it all. Mm-hmm. And that's the point. You don't know it all, but you want to get familiar. You mm-hmm. want to learn it, right. whatever it is you aspire to do, because mm-hmm. there's still things I haven't yet accomplished. Right. And I certainly talk to people or I try to put myself in that environment or situation. Mm-hmm. And it's some, it, it is very uncomfortable sometimes. And you learn, you know, what you're capable of in those moments of being uncomfortable. So that's the biggest thing I would say is just and things I've passed on because I didn't want to be uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. Like I'm comfortable here. I got this under right. control. And so I'm going to stay in my lane, mm-hmm. but sometimes it's okay to get out of your lane. Mm-hmm. It's okay to get out of your lane. Um, and I think, uh, you know, that definitely would be a guideline for me is just, you know, getting um, comfortable with being uncomfortable and it's okay to get out of your lane sometimes. Check your rear view, yeah. right? Check your side view, <laughs> yeah. you know. Yeah. But it's okay to get out of your lane sometimes because that's how you learn. That's how you grow. And um, there's someone, an executive in our company to say, if you're not growing, you're dying. Yeah. Oh, oh that was good. <laughs> that's it's, so true. But that's so, it's scary, but, but true. Yeah. If you're not growing, you're dying. Like we should be, I think, lifelong learners. Right. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So. I'd say if you're not growing, you're dying. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. That's, that's mm-hmm. deep. Yeah, it is. It's scary to yeah, learn. What am I doing in life? <laughs> I mean, yeah, you right. know, not right. every single moment, right, right, second that you take a breath. Right. But yeah, true. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. I love that. Thank you for joining me yeah. on this episode. I'm so glad to be here. I know we talked about this like yeah. months and years ago. Yeah. So it's great that you're able to come and yeah. get your radio on and well, you know well, get the practice in. 2020 goals <laughs> seriously no i'm so proud of you so glad to be on the show congratulations to you on oh, your engagement thank he put a ring on it y'all <laughs> thank you so let everyone um know where they can follow you oh, okay um, social yeah. media drop so uh, <laughs> so um on twitter i'm talia pr queen mm-hmm. On Instagram, I am Teals2219. Okay. So, yeah, that's how you can find me. Yes, and you can find this podcast on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, or Spotify from the sidelines with Chanel Starling. So make sure you go subscribe, comment, and tell a friend to tell a friend. Yes.